You're listening to Talking Taiwan with your host, Felicia Lin. John Eastwood is a partner at the Taipei office of the law firm Iger. I spoke with John previously in episode 195 about some of the challenges he's seen in Taiwan from a legal perspective in the 20 years that he's resided in Taiwan. In this second half of our interview, John and I spoke about other issues and areas in need of legal reform in Taiwan. This episode of Talking Taiwan has been sponsored by NATOA, the North America Taiwanese Women's Association. NATOA was founded in 1988 and its mission is 1. To evoke a sense of self-esteem and enhance women's dignity. 2. To oppose gender discrimination and promote gender equality. 3. To fully develop women's potential and encourage their participation in public affairs. 4. To contribute to the advancement of human rights and democratic development in Taiwan. 5. To reach out and work with women's organizations worldwide to promote peace for all. To learn more about NATOA, visit their website, www.natwa.com. Without further ado, here's our interview. Do you see any legal reform happening in the case of these examples that you gave with the public insult and parade and assembly or any other like, uh, labor laws or things? Do you see any legal reform happening? I mean, sexual harassment... You know, I think sexual harassment is a big change. Um, so there's some improvement, I think some real improvement going on there. And I'm seeing definitely with companies about the treatment of overtime and employees' records, working records and things like that. Privacy is making huge advancements um, because, you know, employers are becoming aware that they're handling um, huge amounts of very personal data, including, to some extent, medical records. Um and I, uh, you know, I think it's, there's like, there is, there is a greater sensitivity to a lot of things that there, that wasn't there a few years ago. And uh, the willingness of companies to accommodate, um, you know, persons who are uh, of different, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, the LGBTQ community, um, you know, I, to see like the the way in which now companies are embracing that and you know pride month and everything else there's a bit of a change in terms of attitude over time um the uh one of the things i guess um you know i i guess we're probably not going to see any real changes to the assembly and parade act uh soon because it was changed uh i guess back in 2021 so that's not that long mm -hmm. ago you know about a year and a half ago right um I think, uh, you know, there's a greater willingness of people to file complaints about sexual harassment and mm -hmm. to try to address that. And I think there's a growing willingness of companies to address this very seriously. Yeah, I just heard that there was a law about stalkers, some anti-stalking law. That's a thing that a lot of legal systems struggle with. Um, and I think that's really important. I would love to see capital punishment go away here. And it's been misused so much over the years. And in particular, a former colleague of mine, Calvin Tsai, uh, he'd worked on death row appeals for a person charged under what was called the, like, the Anti-Banditry Act. 
Um, it was like a, a you know, a, a martial law era rule that was intended to make it really easy to convict and send uh, sentence to death persons for all sorts of crimes, uh, as if they were, you know, whether they're communist, whether they're not communist, but it was often sort of like the way that the Patriot Act, Patriot Act in the United States was used way beyond its original intentions to be able to wiretap all sorts of people. So you get to like the Anti-Banditry Act, and, and as my colleague found, he did this research uh, very carefully, and he found it was like, you know, this law lapsed in the 1950s. Like it was supposed, it was only enacted for a set period of time, and then it was supposed okay. to be reenacted to to be approved again by the Leaf Yuan, the legislative okay. Yuan, and it wasn't, and they never signed it back into being, and it never okay. was. So this law expired decades ago, okay. um, and when he raised this, they disregarded it. Um, the courts disregarded it, and he. So here was a guy that was going to be that was executed. After this law had left, he was he was executed yeah, he was, based on this law. The and, and that's law. just because the the law made it easier. The law that yeah. particular anti-banditry yeah. law made it easier to, um, you know, and I and I also see that there's a lack of understanding sometimes in the society about, um, you know, the uh, the the mentally ill um, and what by reason of insanity, you know, like not guilty by reason of insanity, like sort of what that means. So people get furious about the idea of a guy who's, um, who might be found, you know, not guilty, uh, you know, in, my, in coming to mind is the case of the, you know, the man here who uh, killed a toddler uh, and, and, you know, just on the street, you know, went and decapitated her. And it was, um, and uh, it was clear that the guy was profoundly mentally ill, that he was perhaps hallucinating, that he wasn't in full control of his. But the the thing is, there you know, there's a lot of tests. It's actually quite strict. It's not you know this idea of knowing right and wrong and and being able to know like either the the nature of what you're doing. But there's a lack of, of societal knowledge about what being not guilty by reason of insanity and the idea that a lot of people were really wanting to see. Oh, you know, we need to, an eye, you know, an eye for an eye. This guy, we need to like mm -hmm. go. We need to execute him now. Mm -hmm. You know, um, who cares about it? He did this. You know, it's on camera mm -hmm. and so on. So it you seems know. that there may need to be some public education about this, not just about what by reason of insanity is, but then also about mental illness and how people are assessed and judged to be sound or not if they can. Make these well, you get at something really good in. there because that's mm -hmm. that's one of the things that I think a lot of societies struggle with yeah. in, in Taiwan a lot because there's such a huge stigma about mental wellness and mental sure. health mm -hmm. in the in the kind of Taiwan society and in Asia broadly. Yeah. Um, and, and God knows from all the school shootings and things like that in the United States, I'm not mm -hmm. one to say the U.S. is better on sure. this, but but like. We really need to destigmatize um, early treatment and identification of persons who need help. And I think the, there's probably a lot of families that have decided to take on the burden. The care facilities, um, you know, need to be a lot better and a lot more humane. A lot of people, a lot of families are afraid to put, um, to institutionalize their family sure. members because they're afraid of the quality of what they're going to put them into. Yeah. Which is great, all until uh, until their son or nephew or father or whatever breaks out and does something horrible. 
because mm-hmm. uh, he's off his meds and because his mm-hmm. you know taking his meds doesn't make him feel as clear-headed as he normally is although right. when he's clear-headed it means he sees the world in in shades of all sorts of you know sure. uh, sees everyone as dragons or or whatever. Right. Yeah. <laughs> i mean but yeah. like you know like if you have someone who you know i understand fully that um that a lot of times people who are that need to take medications hate being on those medications because mm-hmm. they know that it's um, dampening down some aspect of themselves. And right. that's a huge struggle. Um, and, you know, some, maybe some of these people who need to be on their meds need to be really actually kept on the meds. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, and it's too much. It's too much to ask. I mean, it's 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 not. So I think you know more resources towards towards taking care of these people um, is good. Yeah, I mean, I mean, this is a huge issue. Just hearing you talk about this, I can think of a lot of things. If uh, the family is taking on the responsibility of taking care of these people, they also need to be informed or to understand how to deal with these things. Like you said, in the case of somebody who is on medication, they need to understand how to deal with that when the person is on their meds or not, right? So it, there's a lot of things to be considered there. And uh, then also, like, yeah, the quality of care if people were to consider putting someone to an institution or some kind of group setting. And now for a short break. Hello listeners, we're going to be experimenting with some shorter form content, under 20 minutes long, and we'd like to hear from you. Would you like to listen to shorter episodes? What would you like to hear more of or less of? Email us at podcast at talkingtaiwan.com. We also have a special announcement for all of our donors, past, present, and future. We're giving all of our donors exclusive first listening access to upcoming interviews with Karen Lin, Democratic candidate for Justice of the Civil Court in Queens, New York. Chin Chi Yang, a multidisciplinary artist who was recently inducted into the New York Foundation for the Arts Hall of Fame. Michelle Kuo, an attorney, activist, and author of Reading with Patrick, which is a runner-up for the Dayton Literary Peace Prize and the Goddard Riverside Stefan Russo Book Prize for Social Justice. Ed Lin, author of Death Doesn't Forget, and Joe Henley, author of Migrante. If you want exclusive access to these episodes and more, support Talking Taiwan by making a contribution to our GoFundMe campaign. We are so grateful for our growing listenership and all the support that we've been receiving. Now, back to the episode. You know, and another kind of similar thing about caring for people that, that I think is relatively unaddressed in Taiwan is, and this is this is quite a tragedy, is that, you know, elder fraud is not, taken very seriously or that mm-hmm. the laws um, don't allow for addressing elder fraud. So we've seen repeatedly, and our, our law firm gets brought in all the time to try to safeguard, because yeah. once mm-hmm. once you realize that there's other people who are like outside the family or inside the family trying to get their claws into an elderly oh. relative who will sign anything put in front of them. So the idea of like when you need a conservatorship is... Yeah 
set at a mm -hmm. uh, such a it's so difficult to establish it. it it almost has to be the point where you physically can't take care of yourself mm. and you're no longer clothing or feeding yourself uh -huh. but there's actually a whole level of inability to make decisions yeah, about before your well that sure yeah. and you know it comes to mind uh, you know a while back there is uh, there is um, you know there was a guy uh, he was you know of very much diminished mental capacity mm -hmm. um, definitely qualified for a conservatorship in the United States mm -hmm. where he had been living mm -hmm. he had a lot of property he was from Taiwan he had a lot of mm -hmm. property here um, he had uh, you know I mean his estate was probably about you know, a couple hundred million US dollars mm. Wow! Um, and that you know just got systematically looted by these people who oh, wow. You know, they they drew up all sorts of fraudulent agreements and, mm -hmm. and loan agreements and other things, oh and um, and they just systematically kind of double and triple and quadruple charged him every step of the wow. way. So you know, and made him sign lots of um, promissory yeah, notes. So uh -huh. he had to sign tons of mm -hmm. promissory notes that they went and enforced on to steal his property. And because they oh, used wow. these quasi legal methods of having oh, a man who was not in control of himself, yeah. um, an elderly man with with um, you know a, a very in terms of the testing, extremely low IQ and everything else. But uh -huh. they went and they took advantage of this, and they uh, you know they were able to use the court system here. Uh, and when things have gone through a court here, you can't undo it. It becomes extremely you can't oh. reopen it. And wow. it would be it would be good to have the ability where there's evidence of mm -hmm. like. Elder, elder abuse and elder mm -hmm. fraud mm -hmm. to be able to deprive fraudsters yes. of the of the money right. of the, the ill-gotten gains you know of, mm -hmm. of what they've done mm -hmm. um, and you know to be able to undo some things I know that like you know you want finality in a court system but you sometimes sure. yeah you have to, you should be able to revisit these things mm -hmm. and I know that there's an awful lot of um, gangsters and other people who use phone fraud and other mechanisms to sure. try to so we have to like it's like a continual you know when when we work with clients um, our, our local lawyers are very good at, at you know implementing kind of ad hoc mechanisms to try to supplement the very few public laws there are to try mm -hmm. to protect so there's things like you know we may you know um, you know hang on to the, you know, and, and lock in our safes, uh, the, the mm -hmm. chop, uh, and oh, right. you know, we may have the uh, bank account, you know, book mm -hmm. and other things mm -hmm. kept in our office, locked away in our safe. And, and then physically we send our attorney down to, you know, to try to help them to make sure we, we also will set them up with things that will make life easier, like automatic bank payment of their electric right. bills. So that, you know, right. there's a lot less cash, you know, you know, Mm -hmm. um, you, you know, reduce the amount. You want elderly people to have dignity, so yes. you know maybe they can. You know, they've got a helper. They've got to pay the helper, but uh, mm -hmm. they got rent. You know, you can have the bank mm -hmm. automatically pay the rent or pay the mortgage. Mm -hmm. You can have, mm -hmm. um, you know, the water and electric bills taken care of. Right. But then you know, their ability to be a grandparent. You know, you have to have some kind of. Uh, flexibility where they can take a grandchild out for for dinner, or they can give a birthday present, um, <laughs> or they can like give a hongbao at, at, at um, 
uh, Chinese New Year. You know, you try to strike a balance and try to find a way for. But I mean, I've I've literally seen things where you know, bad grandchildren have entered their grandmother's oh checkbook and mm. written out to themselves like eight hundred and fifty thousand U.S. Oh, wow. dollars. Oh, a my. check for that amount. Oh my! And then asked Grandma to sign it, and oh wow! You know, not all banks will 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 protect you know protect the the Grandma. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing all that. It's really interesting. I mean, I think these are all like a lot of questions that a lot of societies and countries can think about working on and improving, not just in Taiwan. Like these are a lot of questions that come up. Let's talk to a couple of KMT officials because um, I, I ran across them at a uh, at some sort of event, and this uh-huh. was right after the after the Taiwan presidential election, which um, Han Guoyu uh, had uh, you know had, had failed um, okay. massively, and yeah. that we were talking about like what was it that the KMT like needs to do and what they yes. you know and, and and I'm not giving advice to exactly but i just said you know would i said you know if there was something on my wish list to see addressed it would be the elder fraud situation and they said well you know we're the kmt we already face a bit of a problem that people think of us as the like the grandpa's party you know we're the old person's party and i said you know this is a young person's issue i mean like actually um if you're if you're a legit young relative Mm-hmm. Who's not mm-hmm. trying to steal from grandma by writing checks to yourself? Which but if you are a legit, are probably. <laughs> yeah, if you're, but if you're like yeah. a, if you're a, you know, if you're a, a legit son or grandchild or something like that, this is a young person's issue. You don't want to see grandma, all of grandma's wealth going to a bunch of like gangsters, you know, a bunch of these fraudsters, a bunch of these, you know. I mean, and we've we've definitely seen a lot of that, and we do a lot of, you know, we do a lot of. Um, you know, asset tracing and and uh, um, and enforcement against fraudsters on uh, you know for companies and for individuals, but it's like undoing a situation. Oh, you know, once it's happened, it's it is so hard to even get to get stuff Terrible. back. It, we've mm-hmm. probably got about a fifty percent record on getting stuff wow. back. I, I told the KMT, I said, this is a young person's issue. You should think about that. You know, so actually, everyone should think about it. the DPP and the mm-hmm. you know all of these you know, new power party or whatever, all these yes. parties should think yes. about this because it's, you know, like it's such a huge drain on the, on the society. It's such a sure, huge drain yes. that like, yes. yeah. I mean, and everybody's had everyone, every family also has like, you know, the, the crappy old uncle who goes and forges the chop stamps to transfer grandma's apartment to himself or something mm-hmm. like that. There's always these people. Mm-hmm. So like to try to like go and, you know, develop, you know, better societal, you know, better strategies for, for stopping this, um, you know, that would be good. Well, thank you for bringing all these things to light. Uh, these are all really important issues. Um, I feel like I could continue talking to you, and we will bring you back on to talk about some other issues because uh, in our correspondence, uh, it's quite evident, evident to me that there are several topics that we could cover, so I'd love to have you back on. I'd love talk to be again. back. Yeah, thank you so much. It's so useful. And thank you for the work that your firm is doing and the approach that you take, especially as you mentioned in the case of this uh, elder fraud that you take steps to try to prevent things or to minimize uh, any risk happening. 
So thank well, you. Well, you know, we 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 try to take a very we I like being able to feel good about what I do at the end of every yeah. day. Yeah. And you know, I I know that there's a lot of lawyer jokes about lawyers being <laughs> devious and tricky and you know having you know padding their bills with too many hours and stuff like that but like mm -hmm. I think I what I the position that I've always taken is that I like being able to go home at the end of the day and to be able to kiss my spouse and feel like I'm doing something positive and doing something yeah. good mm -hmm. and every once in a while I do get to see some some feedback on that that like some idea that I put out there has somehow become a norm within the legal system or that an article I've written has you know like gotten bought into by other lawyers in Taiwan um, that people will see some sense in what we're advocating for or that the government like has a has that moment of realization and you see some progress and I always feel like you know, my 21 years in Taiwan is, you know, has been a really rewarding one because, you know, like, you know, to be part of a positive change and to see it is, you know, I mean, I, I just, you know, I really love working here. Thank you so much. I think that's a good topic for maybe our next interview. I want to thank you so much for this interview and this conversation. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. This episode is a continuation of my interview with John Eastwood about his thoughts on legal reform in Taiwan. John is a partner at the Taipei office of the law firm Iger. The first part of our interview was shared in episode 195. This episode of Talking Taiwan has been sponsored by NATOA, the North America Taiwanese Women's Association. NATOA was founded in 1988 to evoke a sense of self-esteem and enhance women's dignity, to oppose gender discrimination and promote gender equality, to fully develop women's potential and encourage their participation in public affairs, to contribute to the advancement of human rights and democratic development in Taiwan, to reach out and work with women's organizations worldwide to promote peace for all, to learn more about NATOA, visit their website, www.natwa.com. Now it's time for you to show us some love. We just found out that you can rate us on Spotify. Or if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Audible, leave us a review there. It helps others to discover Talking Taiwan. To learn more about any of the items mentioned in this episode, visit our website, TalkingTaiwan.com. There will list any related links. Thank you for listening to another episode of Talking Taiwan. I'm your host, Felicia Lin. Talking Taiwan is brought to you by Forumosa.com.